All right, and welcome back to another adventure here on Southern Sense, live on Blog Talk Radio, Lone Star Daily News. I don't even know where the heck we are. SHR Media, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music Now, and half a dozen other places. Just go to the name of the show, Southern Sense, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. I'm your hostess with the least most, just the radio chickadee, Annie, along with my co-host who's slapping his head going, what am I in for today, Curtis <laughs> C.S. Bennett. Good afternoon, Curtis. How are you? All right. We look like we have one of our guests, our first guest, and after that, uh, shortly, I'm going to call our next guest, but we're ready All to right. rock well, and roll. All right. Well, before we can... All right, before we can bring our guest on, first and foremost, uh, we must do our dedication to a fallen hero. And everyone that watches and listens to the show, whether or not you're up on YouTube or Facebook or half of the other different places we're at, you know we start each and every show with a dedication to a fallen hero. And today's guest today will be Dr. Philip Ron Mathis, who is the chair of the first annual Medal of Honor uh, Golf and Celebration. Um, we also have Dr. Richard Cube. He's the CEO and founder of Prairie Spine and Pain. He'll be talking to us about uh, health care reform. And we're going to have our friend from the Epic Times, or Epoch Times, Mark Tapscott. So we got ourselves a great lineup. Also, your friend, Josh Perry, who is a political activist and a, a contributor to uh, RSB Network. Um, so today's dedication is going to go out to Army Staff Sergeant Edward N. Kinshiro. He was awarded the Medal of Honor for his actions on December 1, 1966, in Vietnam. He was killed in action just six months later on June 5, 1967. Some of this is from Wikipedia. Some of this is from the Congressional Medal of Honor. Congressional Medal of Honor society under stories of sacrifice and it reads Edward Kinshiro was born in Honolulu Hawaii in 1928 the eighth child of 16 siblings he resided in Hawaii and grew up working on the family farm he graduated from Lehigh High School in June of 1946 then worked for several civilian employees Kenshiro enlisted in the Army on the 2nd of April, 1959. Upon completion of individual training as an infantryman, he was assigned to Company C, 1st Battalion, 27th Infantry Regiment, 25th Infantry Division at Schofield Barracks in Hawaii. He served in non-combat overseas tours in Okinawa, Japan, and South Korea, and then was assigned to Troop C, 1st Squadron, 9th Cavalry Regiment, 1st Cavalry Division. He was deployed to South Vietnam as a squad leader within his platoon during a mission at Kim Sun Valley on the 1st of December 1966. His unit came under fire from North Vietnamese People's Republic of Vietnam troops. Ken Shiro crawled forward to attack using six grenades and an M16 rifle. This saved the lives of U.S. soldiers, allowing them to successfully advance. And the citation reads, Staff Sergeant Edward N. Kenshiro distinguished himself by acts of gallantry, 
and intrepidity above and beyond the call of duty while serving as an infantry squad leader with Troop C, 1st Squadron, 9th Cavalry, 1st Cavalry Division near Fu Chu in the Kim Sun Valley, Republic of Vietnam on 1 December 1966. Not knowing that the village was heavily fortified with fully bunkered and concealed trench system and garrisoned by North Vietnamese troops in a vastly superior force, two squads of the platoon had deployed to its center, while Staff Sergeant Kane Shiro and his squad scouted the more open terrain to the east of the village. Sensing the opportunity to ambush the infantry squads, the entrenched enemy force erupted with machine gun and small arms fire against the two squads at the center of the village, killing the platoon leader and the point man, wounding four others, then successfully suppressing the surviving soldiers. Staff Sergeant Kane Shiro moved with his men to the sound of the fire, swiftly reading the situation, seeing that the fire from the trench had to be stopped if anyone was to survive, he first deployed his men to cover, then crawled forward to attack the enemy force alone. He began by throwing grenades from the parapet while flattened to the ground, successfully throwing the first grenade through the aperture of the bunker, eliminating the machine gunner who had opened the action. With five grenades remaining and his rifle to sustain his assault, Staff Sergeant Kenshiro jumped into the trench to sweep its length where it fronted the two pinned squads. Over the distance of about 35 meters, he worked the ditch alone, destroying one enemy group with rifle fire and two others with grenades. By the end of his sweep, the able body survivors of the two squads were again standing and preparing to move the dead and wounded. Staff Sergeant Kenshiro's actions enabled the orderly extradition and reorganization of the platoon, which ultimately led to a successful withdrawal from the village. Staff Sergeant Kenshiro's conspicuous gallantry and uncommon heroism under fire were in keeping of the highest traditions of the military service and reflect great credit upon himself, his unit, and the United States Army. In his personal life, Kenshiro left behind a wife and their five children. She began a life of tremendous difficulty raising five children alone. The oldest daughter, 10 at the time, and the youngest son, only four months. His son followed his father's footsteps, joining the Army as a non-commissioned officer and reaching the rank of Master Sergeant before retiring. Mitsiko died on the 10th of April, 2022, less than three months from the Medal of Honor presentation. She was 90 years old. His son accepted the Medal of Honor in his name. Today's show is dedicated to all the brave men and women in this nation that have served in our military defending this nation from its very birth through today and into its hopeful future. We also dedicate this show to the brave men and women that serve as first responders here at home, be they law enforcement, firefighters, or emergency services. We dedicate this show to them and 
to them this song by Tiffany, Soul of a Nation. May God bless each and every one. All right, that was Tiffany, Soul of the Nation. And we're back here, here live, listening to Southern Sense on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, Spreaker, YouTube, Facebook, Amazon Music Now, and half a dozen other places. And just go to the name of the show, put a dash in the middle, southern-sense.com. Of course, I'm your hostess with the least most, just the Radio Ticket D, along with my co-host, Curtis C.S. Bennett. And we've got our first victim in on the line. Uh, he is a doctor. Philip Ron Mathis, and he's the chair of the first annual Medal of Honor annual golf and celebration going on in Orlando, Florida next Friday. So, folks, if you're in that area and you want to join in, uh, just get a hold of Dr. Ron, and he can tell you how to do that. Welcome, Dr. Ron. How are you today? Good afternoon. Thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it. I'm, uh, I'm well. Thank you for asking well, um, what made you decide to do this golf uh, 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 celebration at four Medal of Honor recipients? What brought you around to do that? Uh, great question. I appreciate it. I have um, done it multiple times in the past. Uh, they were, prior to that, I was in Washington, D.C. and really uh, got very much involved with it. Some of them are very personal to me, and uh, especially the, the several of them, Sammy Davis Jr. for one, Woody Williams, we had him here in, in Orlando a couple of years back for his passing and uh, watched him speak extemporaneously for hours. Just uh, just a reminder to everyone that, uh, you know, I wanted to do something to keep it in the forefront. Our, our, our brave men and women who go before us and uh, this, this uh, select group of people who have done some things that are very extraordinary. And uh, it just—it's just—it's just a special time. And I, I, I evolved to that. I became part and partial of this organization, this the 501c3, and uh, you know, they helping veterans. And we won't get all that in a second. But, but yeah, founder came to me as a, and he's a major retired chaplain, and he said we need a CEO, and we really need to do something special for our veterans. And I said, well, we're going to do that. Uh, I know this. This is a great, a great thing to do. So, 
That's a long-winded answer to a simple question, but that's, that's it, generally. <laughs> well, you're the CEO of Heroes Hearts. That's the name of the organization that you uh, are working with. And um, I see that you are in the process of building the website, so people want to go there. When it's complete, will be heroeshearts.org. Great that we do celebrate and we bring the stories to the forefront. And as I said earlier at the start of the show, we've been doing this. Oh, God, I've been going on now uh, 14 years doing this. And I do the dedication because it does hit hard, uh, really at home to me, too. Um, One of the things I did before I retired out of NYPD was to actually write up the citations for the men and women for the actions that they did. So you you get a feel of these individuals as I read the story. And you think about what their families go through. Um, a lot of these people are awarded posthumously, um, but to be there for the families, uh, what? Just imagine how much you could have helped uh, Staff Sergeant Kate Shiro's wife, five children, raising them alone. What is it that your organization does? Thank you for the question. I appreciate it. Uh, a lot of what you just said, you know, we um, we have said, uh, and I certainly say periodically, we're good at caskets and flags, but when everything is over, uh, there's a family there. There's needs for the family. There's needs for the, the significant others, the spouses, the children. Uh, we concentrate on really helping those needs, the, the mental health uh, awareness pieces that everyone talks about. We won't spend time on that, but uh, it's certainly part of our uh, of our value. You know, what we do as a business, but uh, making sure that every you know, one we can we can help and uh, make a difference. I guess that we are grounded in the fact that the organization started with um, uh, a founder that is a chaplain, a founder that's army, uh, and has made a huge contribution in his life and. And uh, it just filled the it filled the need for me. So again, I feel comfortable saying uh, we do an awful lot of things, and also in Hillsborough County, which is the uh, the county of Tampa, Florida, Plant City, Florida, uh, our founders also a uh, badge carrying um, chaplain for the first responders in Hillsborough County. So it's a it's a great thing for us. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great organizations out there um, uh, that I've I've actually had done some work with. There was the Independence Fund that uh, came around and has been doing a lot of great work for local heroes around here. And they held a local golf tournament, and I would broadcast from there and have these men and women uh, come on air and you know talk about their experiences. Uh, the, the thing is, is that. Less than 10% of our nation serves in our military. So everyone goes on with their daily day in and day out. But that small minority of our nation are willing to put their lives on the line to defend our freedoms and to protect this nation from our enemies. And they are basically left to their own resources. So an organization like yours, like Tunnel to Towers also, uh, the Wounded Warriors, and as I mentioned, the Independence Front, um, uh, we've got uh, uh, Combat Vets for America. Uh, There's so many great organizations out there. Um, So exactly, you're talking about the mental health. We have a large 
homeless population that consists of veterans. And an unusual number of them are now female veterans. So when we have something like this, what is it that your organization does to step in? Well, first, you know, we start with the case management, find out exactly what the need is, not be presumptuous. I think too often uh, some organizations, and I'm not thinking to anything that you just listed, all great organizations, we probably couldn't, we, we, we could probably double and triple all of them, and none of us would be able to satisfy the needs. That's the negative of this experience. Uh, there's, there's, there's my daughter's mental health counselor. There's almost nothing. Uh, we can do to satisfy just the clients she has that she moves to us. So uh, it's, it's, that's our that's what our forefront. Really find, meeting the needs where they stand. Sometimes it's financial, sometimes it's housing. Putting all those resources together uh, to meet those needs for the family. And um, as you said, protect, we're, we're about protecting the hearts of our warriors. That's what we call ourselves. Healers Heart is about that. So looking at the heart, what, where is it beating, where is it missing, and what do you have to do to fill in for the gap? And, and uh, it's, it's simply a joy. I'll just put it that way. It's a joy to be part of that. It's a joy to make a, see a little bit of difference, and, and that's what we're all about. And it's it's a very worthy cause, and I am so glad to see more and more people starting to step up. If someone wants to get involved and maybe volunteer for your organization, how would they get a hold of you? Thank you for saying that and asking that, ma'am. I, uh, it's real simple. My name is Ron Mathis. Seven, uh, call my number, which is, uh, if I may give it, I'd like to, or uh, send an email sure. to ronmathis at, he- at heroesheart.org, or my phone number, 407-408-7480, and, uh, or if they want to be part of this uh, event, which is on October uh, next Friday night, actually, October 5th and 6th, and Saturday morning is going to wrap up. And uh, your esteemed colleague on air and our uh, good friend, C.S. Bennett, is going to be there uh, speaking that night. So it's a place to be to hear some greatness, a place to be to see some differences being made. And, uh, and that was, but I'll, I'll give that my best pitch for the moment. Thank you. All right, now, give me that email just once again, because what I'm going to do is I'm going to put it up on the show page so when people hit the archives, they can click on the email and get a hold of you. Please, Ron, R-O-N, Mathis, M as in Mary, A-T-H-I-S, at Heroes, H-E-R-O-E-S, Heart, H-E-R-T, most places in Hackman, dot com. All right, that will go on up as soon as the show is complete, so people can click on it and go straight over to you. Um, like I said, these are all things that uh, don't call me and leave a message. I will make sure I get back to them, and I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, that's that's my pleasure. And there, where is there a link or something that people can click on to go to this golf thing if they happen to be in the Orlando area? Maybe they may decide to take off next weekend from their job out of Wisconsin, Lord knows, or wherever they are in the United States, and fly down there to join. Well, you said something that captured my attention early on about the site being uh, not uh, org should be working fine. It was two or three hours ago. Uh, so that's, that's, that's where I would tell them to go, www.heroesheart.org. <clears throat> and if they're from Wisconsin, uh, the Grand, uh, I always get it, I have to stop. The Hyatt Regency Grand Cypress literally is at the front gate of Disney. So if they had that, gee, let's do this tonight with the, uh, for the good people who uh, 
dialogue. They were trying to make a difference for their veterans. Let's do that. And then let's look out a window tonight and watch the fireworks at Disney and get on the on the bus from the hotel and go into Disney, plus or minus a quarter of a mile away and have a day enjoying the uh, great the great things that are available there at Disney. So that's not a pitch for them, but it's certainly a pitch for convenience. So thank you. Well, guess, guess what? I just pulled up your website. I couldn't do it yesterday morning, so maybe there may have been just on their end a little bit of a glitch, but it is up and working. Heroeshearts.org is up and working, so I'll make sure that goes on, too. Well, we, were, we had a severe storm yesterday, and which, you know, the Central Florida area can do that from time to time, uh, afternoon thunderstorm, and it went down up for a period during that. I think uh, something happened, but matters not. I delight in that being the answer, so thank you, and I'm glad you, you could send that. Thank you, ma'am. Oh, it's my pleasure. My pleasure. As a matter of fact, I had a doctor appointment today, and as I was walking out, someone had a small, uh, look like a DeSoto coupe that they had rebuilt, and it was really beautifully painted up. But what caught my eye was I saw in the window a decal of the Medal of Honor on it. And as I was driving past, I caught the fact that it was given to someone that had been at Hamburger Hill. And I said, oh, wow. If this is not the good Lord, give me a sign today that the person I chose for my dedication was a Medal of Honor winner. I have you here today to talk about the uh, golf tournament in Orlando for Medal of Honors. Uh, it, it was like the good Lord saying, you're doing the right thing today. Let's bring these stories forward. Let's talk about these men and women out there. Uh, the Medal of Honor first being put forward by uh, President Lincoln at the Civil War. Uh, female was a doctor, a Civil War doctor, a civilian uh, that got the Medal of Honor. And we've got to talk about all these. And t- just recently, there was an award ceremony at the White House for the Medal of Honor awardees. Uh, it's, it's, these stories have to get out there. And I'm glad that you're helping the men and women and helping us get the message out there. We can't forget our combat, our military men and women out there. Thank you for that. I, I would be remiss if I didn't say two things, if I may, for other mind, uh, with the time I have left, whatever it is. Our very first acceptance to come uh, is Melvin um, Morris, who is an Army Sergeant, uh, Vietnam era 1969, awarded in 2014. And literally, he and his wife said, absolutely, we have lots of other plans. We are canceling it. We will be there. And then uh, the, the next phone call I got is significant because the gentleman I had the pleasure of meeting this year on Veterans Day, and uh, a gentleman from my church, if I may say that, is called me and he said, uh, do you know that uh, there's a, a special presentation going on today? I said, really, with who? And uh, he told me, and the, the gentleman is 100 years old, Chief Master Sergeant of the Air Force. And uh, I said, you got to be kidding. And I looked at the pictures, and I said, that's uh, if you get this uh, all on schedule and everything, I want him to be there as a special guest of mine and ask the cadets to come in with the colors to post the colors. And uh, the first phone call I got on that day was from him saying, Ron, I can't wait to see you. And so uh, it was a, a pretty special moment. So in all cases, I delight in the time. I look forward to seeing uh, CS in it at our event and speaking for it with, for and with us and I know a lot of people will um, benefit greatly from that. So. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Ron. And you drive safe because it sounds like you're in your car. 
I am, and hopefully that uh, on and off mute did not be uh, the too bothersome. But thank you so much for the time. Thank you for this opportunity. All right. And I, I appreciate all of you. I look forward to seeing you, sir, soon. Take care of yourself. Yep. See you next Friday. All right. Good day. Good day. Good day. Bye-bye. All right. All right. Check it out, heroeshearts.org. And let's get my little computer here to behave and bring our next guest in on the line. And we have with us Dr. Richard Cube, and he is the CEO of the Prairie Spine and Pain Institute. And he wants to talk to us about a recent article he's had up in Newsweek uh, about healthcare reform. And actually, you know, it, I, I'm telling you, it's been serendipity the last couple of days, Dr. Cube, uh, that I had a friend of mine over there. Uh, he's Marine, who's retired from the Marine Corps, went back as a civilian, still working. And for some reason, healthcare came up in the conversation as he was sipping my bourbon. And when I mentioned what I was talking to you about, he goes, it's about time. <laughs> so I'm telling you, I've got serendipity here. Well, uh, I... Uh, Go ahead. Well, I think it's, you know, okay. I think at this point, you know, there are a variety of things, obviously, that are problematic with with healthcare, and I think certainly in my mind, you know, the government's not the answer uh, because there's no healthcare is such a complicated topic, and there are so many different people with a variety of healthcare needs that there is no central planning that's going to be wise enough uh, or to possibly allocate resources in an appropriate manner. And that's part of what, what we're talking about in the article, whereby uh, there's this lack of, people call it site neutrality or site of surface differentials, whatever it might be, but you know, where similar, similar services or product is, is provided, and just by the nature of calling it a private enterprise versus a hospital-owned enterprise, the cost goes up 60-plus percent for the same exact service. And in those kind of situations, you know, certainly I guess since that is a government edict via Medicare or CMS that provides that additional payment, certainly that's a good place where they can start in saving some funds uh, by eliminating that differential because obviously a sign on the wall shouldn't equate to a massive increase in the reimbursement. Um, you know, there's certainly other things that the hospitals provide that are more complicated, and certainly they have methodologies of collecting for that and billing for that and so forth. But, again, it, it's an example of where some large agency interjected. There's just too much for them to keep track of, or certainly there are political forces that get in the middle of the determination of some of these fees rather than the market determining it itself. Mm. Well, I grew up in an age where I went to a local family doctor. And when you went in there, you didn't have all this insurance. A lot of people didn't have insurance, period. That That's basically new in the last 50 years. Um, but you went there, if you didn't have the full fee, he says, all right, fine, you pay me just so much, and then I'll get it from you later on. Uh, you set up like a payment plan or whatever, but the local doctor took care of everything. You didn't have to stand in line to see a specialist. He'd pick up the phone or he'd say to his nurse, 
get this person an appointment right away. And you, had, you didn't have to jump through hoops. You didn't have to do anything. And if you were a new patient, you didn't have to wait months to be seen. The new system that we have ever since Obamacare came into being uh, has been so odious and so administrative intensive. How can anyone actually get care in a timely fashion in today's day and age? Can they? I think there's a couple of points with that. I, I mean, I think we were well on our way to this prior to Obamacare, but that certainly put uh, uh, a couple of booster rockets on the acceleration to where we are today. And and part of that is because with some of these side of surface differentials and just the nature of primary care, a lot of primary care, that doctor that you're describing no longer works for him or herself. That doctor is employed by a hospital system. And so now there are a variety of metrics and other things that are imposed on those folks. So it is difficult because they have their margins that they want to meet. They're putting uh, patient panels of three, 4,000 patients on that physician, which means they're going to have to see 30, 35 patients a day. And so if you've only got 14, 13 minutes to spend per patient, and now with some of the burdensome administrative things you're describing takes up on average seven minutes of that time. You really only have five, six minutes, maybe seven minutes at most left to take care of the patient who's sitting in front of you. And if that person's there for strep throat, maybe you can get that done. But if that person is there for complex diabetes, that's not necessarily controlled, if they're there for hypertension, uh, some metabolic disorder, some other more involved process, they don't have the time for it. So that doctor then triages you off to the specialist where you sit in yet another line as you talk about. And so one solution to that that's out there right now is direct primary care. That's what I use. You know, I am a doc. I'm a spine surgeon uh, in orthopedics. But my physician is a direct primary care physician. I pay a certain fee a month, uh, about $60. And for that anything and everything I need is taken care of. Uh, And so I can call, I can get an appointment, I can handle things over the phone a lot of times when needed. My wife can do the same thing with her direct primary care doc, same thing with my kids. And so there is no line. You're not waiting for weeks or months. Usually you're able to get an appointment same day, next day, maybe the day after that at the very latest. And usually it's more a factor of your own schedule rather than the doctor's. And the reason for that is all that middle garbage is removed and that physician is beholding only to the patient. And that's really how it should be because the patient is the customer. In the current system, the insurance company is the customer, the hospital is the customer, the third-party payer administrator is the customer. Everybody's the customer basically other than the patient. You've got 20 other entities sitting in the exam room and that's why we have what we have today. And certainly when we talk about cost, If you think it's hard to pay for the care, well, how are you going to pay for the care and these other 20 people sitting around the room getting in the middle of it when they aren't actually providing any of the care and none of them work for free? So uh, that is one thing that could happen and certainly changing the tax code and allowing people to use health savings accounts and the like to purchase uh, monthly subscriptions and to direct primary care or things like that that would be one way we could start see the, seeing the tide change, you know, and, and get folks uh, a real option. 
Well, you know, I, I had been paying for a concierge service. That's what you're talking about, paying a fee <clears throat> to know that your your primary care physician is at your call. And if they're not available, there's someone standing in for them. So you will be seen or spoken to within 24 hours or less. And most of the time, it was less. Matter of fact, when my husband was very ill, Uh, Before he passed, he came straight to the house on several occasions because he knew that to try to get him to to the office would have been too burdensome. Type of service is available if you have the funds that you can afford it. My problem is, is that it became so costly. And the monthly fee I was paying, it was just prohibitive. I have a choice now. I go back to a regular physician that is attached to a hospital or working for the hospital, or I forego certain things in my life, uh, possibly even certain medications, because I can't afford. So what do you tell someone who can't afford that type of monthly fee? Well, I... I guess it's like anything, you know, you have to have the ability to to, uh, cover services that you desire, whether that's automobiles, groceries, whatever that might be. Uh, A lot of people have health coverage provided by employers in those situations. The employers could potentially use direct primary care. So if, if you're kind of stuck in the system, there are a variety of ways out of it, and I don't know that we really have time to get into the substantial detail to be able to maneuver through that system because it is obviously very complex, but I think there's a definitely a difference between concierge medicine and also direct primary care, where concierge medicine generally is you pay a fee to have access, and we've got folks like that around here too where people are paying $1,500 to get into the doctor, and then they get bills and things after that. Direct primary care is not that. Direct primary care is a set fee that covers everything. And so the average person who does face, say, a $500 deductible for health care for the year, that $500 would just about pay all of your direct primary care services. Now, obviously, you might have other medical costs and other things of that nature, but for that type of a subscription type of fee, you know, not that different than your than your current deductible, you have the mm-hmm. ability to cover that yourself. If you have an employer, if that employer is a self-funded, self-insured employer, then certainly that is a tool that they can use. Because bear in mind, uh, some of it is educating the consumer of the penny-wise, dollar-foolish scenario. So primary care generates $13 downstream for the hospital system for every $1 of primary care. So if you go to that physician and now that physician is able to handle your complex diabetes, your hypertension, and all of those services, then you have an ability to bundle that all under one roof versus if you really look at as an individual, even if you look at what you would pay in co-pays and deductibles and those types of things, if you have ongoing services that you need and you're seeing your doctor monthly, a lot of people are paying 50 bucks or so for that visit anyway. Well, that's already included in direct primary care. 
And so, and from the business standpoint, if you're a self-funded employer, if you are covering those types of services, now you have the ability to avoid as many specialty referrals, which ends up leading to a lot of times more testing and diagnostics that may or may not be necessary, or certainly a physician who's independent is more inclined to send you to an imaging center for your MRI where you might, that's an independent center where you might pay five or $600 for an MRI instead of going to the hospital, which is undoubtedly where the hospital employed physician will send you and pay sometimes three and $4,000 for the same MRI. I, I had a patient in my office just Wednesday, same exact thing, that patient uh, doesn't have a lot of options. They were going to get an MRI at their local hospital. The hospital wanted $5,000 for the MRI. I was able to Ooh. inform Ooh. the patient of a location where they can go and get the same exact MRI. They had to drive an extra half hour or hour for that MRI, but they got it for 500 bucks. So, again, oh. if, if, we, if we know and have the ability to educate in the system, right, in a, in a free market and in a market where people are searching for value and are inspired to search for that value, there are a lot of things that can be saved in, in that situation and in that circumstance. So, you know, as, as, a, as, as a provider and as a father of three with, with a family, you know, I've paid for a lot of medical and I've billed for a lot of medical and being on both sides <laughs> yeah. of the coin and then also a business owner I, I've had the ability to see it from all three sides there, and and certainly we spend way less out of pocket now doing what we do now than we ever spent when I had insurance. So a lot of these tools that are there available, especially if, you know, again, if there's any ability to change tax code to improve that ability for people as well, that health savings accounts, dollars, and the like could be used, uh, these are way more economic opportunities for people and then allows people to then get in the habit of health care, not sick care. Okay, we do that very poorly in this country. You know, we, we spend about, the, the folks in Europe spend about three times their gross percentage on primary care that we do. We spend maybe, you know, about five or six percent, I think they spend about 14 percent of their health care dollars on primary care. Well, you know, those kinds of things are helpful in helping manage disease processes. It's a lot easier to manage a diabetic if their blood sugars are under control rather than if their blood sugars are out of control and now they've got diabetic foot ulcers and now they've got osteo. Uh, uh, osteo-involvement, whether it's necrosis or infection or whatever it might be, uh, you know, those costs go up. And so, you know, when you're talking tens of thousands of dollars for the average diabetic foot ulcer, um, these things all cost a lot of money. Uh, and, and unfortunately, the way the system is currently geared, you know, it's not the primary care doctor's fault. They're stuck in a system that allows them an inadequate amount of time for real management. And so, you know, again, you have to really do the full burden cost analysis 
of, you know, okay, I've got this fee to pay monthly, but is that actually worse, or is it the fee that you're paying your primary doctor and then you're going to have to see an endocrinologist as well because they need to see you to really manage the diabetes, but then your primary care doctor also needs to follow you for certain periods of time, and the endocrinologist doesn't want to manage your hypertension or your cardiac disease, or let's say you have asthma, and so now, I mean, how many doctors are you having to see? Where a lot of those yeah. things, unless you're incredibly complex, you have one doc, your direct primary care doc. You get one bill, and that's right. it, not four and five. No, it, it sounds wonderful, and I wish we could, I really want to see something like this come back. Cut out the middleman between the doctor and the consumer, the doctor and the patient. I mean, at this point, you guys spend so much inordinate amount of time just doing paperwork for the insurance companies, for government records. Heaven forbid we even throw in Medicare and Medicaid forms that you have to complete. Uh, it, it is absolutely insane. I mean, it's, I don't even know. I can't even imagine our founding fathers having a thought that our medical system could become so corrupt with funneling the money from the consumer into various entities rather than taking care of the patient itself. I mean, I just tried calling up for a pulmonologist, getting an appointment with a pulmonologist, and they're telling me, you can't see them until February next year. And I said, that's crazy. That's, that, that, that's impossible. I've had three serious lung infections this year. My listeners know I missed quite a few days on the show here because of three separate uh, right. attacks on my pulmonary system. I'm saying, wait a minute, something's going on here. I've had three infections in eight months, and I can't see someone until next year. And that is what the consumer is facing. You know, we're stuck. We're being told, hey, you need to see a cardiologist or you need to see a podiatrist. And yet just to see that other doctor, you've got to jump through hoops. And heaven forbid you try to help along the way. And it's like, hey, you know... (laughs) Hello, we got our own patients. Don't go shoving us extra. We're not taking new patients now. You hear every, I hear every single story possible. And as the person on the receiving end, I can understand the frustration of other patients. And to cut out the middleman, to stop these large uh, medical entities, they start with hospitals, then you have Tenet Health, then you have Emblem Health, who take them all over, and you're stuck inside a machine and you're just a rat in the maze it feels like well i mean a couple things one going back to the founding fathers certainly none of the founding fathers would have been advocates for any type of governmental takeover of 20 30 percent of the gdp which is currently national health insurance in the form of medicare certainly you start adding the states and everybody in two and government has no business in the insurance business from my vantage point. And, mm-hmm. you know, it never had been involved until recent decades. And we didn't have, I mean, certainly there's no system that's perfect, but it wasn't like we had major calamities and of, of no ability for people to acquire health care uh, in, in settled regions and things. And as you say, there's a shortage. Well, but again, when you have consolidation of services, which will exist when you have debacles like site neutrality issues that are 
more or less created by the government or their policies. Now you have consolidation of services. If I own all hmm. the services in your area, there's not a big drive for me to generate value, right? I don't no. have to compete. I, I'm not worried about the fact that you can't get in to see me in three weeks. I could say, well, that's good enough. Now, if I have 10 other people all competing for you as a customer, right, then I act differently because you may go somewhere else. And now my hospital, right. you know, can turn into a giant hotel full of vacancies and I can't function <laughs> like that. So the most expensive patient for a hospital to acquire is the new patient because it requires marketing, advertising, effort. But if everybody kind of has to go to you, that cost is all gone. And now I have a captive audience that could basically do what I want or need them to do. And I can get by well, with demanding $5,000 for an MRI instead of 500 because what else are you going to do? Your doctor told well, you that you needed to have the MRI, so now I have to do it. Well, Dr. Cube, we've run out of time because i got my next guest in sure. on the line. He's been waiting so patiently. He's a dear friend. I have to have you come back on because we've got to delve more into this. Um, I mean, sure. sorry, Nancy Pelosi. I read Obamacare before it was married in the House and Senate. I had the time to do that. Thank you. I know what was in it when you guys passed it. But there's so many more areas we can touch in this, and I definitely want to have you come back. Where can people find you? Uh, well, again, as we, we've been talking, you can find me online. Uh, my name is Dr. Richard Kuby, K-U-B-E. I'm at Prairie Spine and Pain Institute, which is my practice. But when you're thinking about free markets and other real solutions, the Free Market Medical Association is a place where consumers can go and find real price transparency. Uh, you know what you're getting. You're, direct, you're communicating directly with the, the physicians, surgeons, et cetera, who actually render the services and care, and you're eliminating all the garbage in between. And so certainly uh, you can find us there. You can find uh, Facebook pages for Free Market Medical Association. Also, I'm one of the leaders of the Illinois chapter, the Free Market Medical Association. You can find us there as well. Fantastic. And you have an excellent article in Newsmax that appeared on September 14th, Bipartisan reform can prevent healthcare monopolization. Thank you, Dr. QB. And I'm sorry I'm mispronouncing your last name. I'm a bad. My bad. Oh, that's fine. That's <laughs> fine. It happens frequently. You have a great day. Oh, you, you too. Thank you very much. All right. Check them Bye -bye. out at the link that we have on the show page. We've got Mark Tapscott from the Epic, I'm sorry, Epoch Times. Mark, how are you today? And I'm sorry to leave you on hold for so long, but that was such a fascinating subject. And the older we get, the more we worry about our health care. It does help if I, I, I mute him. I'm batting a thousand. Sorry about that, Mark. <laughs> Hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? I, I can tell. I'm going nuts here. I'm going nuts. You know, the big story of the day, and I'm sure you're delving into that right now, uh, Diane Feinstein passing away. Wow. Wow. Well, it's not and it's not exactly as if it comes as a surprise. Um, you know, she was 90 years old. It's been pretty clear for 
several months now, um, whenever you saw her on a few occasions that you did, um, she she was extraordinarily frail, and it's it's not a surprise that she has passed. No, it's not, because uh, I saw her when they wheeled her onto the floor, and uh, there was another uh, uh, camera shot they had of her when she was being wheeled out down the corridor, and I shook my head, and I'm saying, why are they doing this to this poor woman? She doesn't even yeah. know where she is. I yeah. mean, she had to have an aide tell her how to vote. This woman has served in the Senate, God bless her, for 30 years. Uh, she has a storied history, and she fought for women's rights, and she went in places where women normally didn't go, you know, becoming the first mayor of San Francisco, becoming the first uh, female senator, I'm sorry, I should say female mayor of San Francisco, female senator from the state of California, a very progressive state. And she did a great number of things, but when I saw her as frail as she was and as disoriented as she was, I'm thinking, is this how you want to end your life? I mean, God bless no. her for the things she did. I mean, she sat on the opposite side of the aisle, but I still respect her. Yeah, yeah, she was. Um, she she was she was one of the Democrats that um, her voting record fundamentally. She was a liberal, and uh, you can depend upon her to vote most of the time uh, with a liberal perspective and. Still, she still was someone who um, retained a sense of common sense uh, on some things, and I think it's it's a loss. It's a real loss to the Democrats because whoever is going to replace her very likely is going to be from the woke, thoroughly woke uh, segment of the Democratic Party, and that uh, we know where that will go. Well, this means that uh, Gruesome Newsome, as I call the governor out there, is going to appoint someone to fill out the rest of her term. And I understand you already have a whole group of people already vying for the primary for her seat. Who Who is in the bullpen that's looking to run? Well, you've got Adam Schiff, Congressman Adam Schiff. You have... Um, um, uh, Congresswoman Katie Porter, and then there is a third uh, congressman uh, whose first name escapes me, but her last name is Lee. And I suspect that there are probably some other folks uh, in California who are thinking to themselves, you know, maybe I should get in on this uh, and give it a shot. Who knows? I might even win. The thing that I think <laughs> is really fascinating is Newsom said, I think, um, earlier this year that when the time came, if he had the opportunity to appoint someone to complete her term, that he would appoint a black woman. Um, I, if, I, I would not be surprised if Gavin Newsom, as we speak, is thinking, now, why shouldn't I just appoint myself? <laughs> you know, um, and there, that, that could happen. Another scenario that uh, I've, I've heard mentioned is uh, Vice President Kamala Harris resigns and uh, is reappointed to the Senate. You will recall she was in the Senate before she became the Vice President, uh, and that would clear the way for the Democrats to name a replacement for President Biden. 
Mm. Interesting. Yeah, Interesting. that's, that's, that's something to think about. Oh, gruesome Newsom as president. <laughs> oh, God, Lord. If we weren't already in bad shape enough, yeah. <laughs> that would be the nightmare. Absolute nightmare. Holy cow. Um, but it's going to be interesting now because the next several days they'll start talking about her services and laying in state in the rotunda and all the pomp and circumstance that will go with it. And rightly so, you know, for a, a woman of her position. Um, but yeah. I, one thing I did hear is that they reversed the Fetterman rule. I guess too many people gave too much backlash on that one. Apparently, Senator Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, uh, after about the 30th Democratic Congress, a senator came up to him and said, have you lost your mind? <laughs> He uh, reversed course, and the Senate uh, reinstated the uh, requirement that you show up looking like a senator with a coat and tie on. Well, I, I think his confess, antics. I was a little surprised by that. I think also his antics that got caught and put up on Twitter or wherever else they went, or X, whatever we want to call it. Uh, I think that did not help. <laughs> Ooh, no, I'm so no. scared. He, he 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 doesn't help his own cause. Um, that's that's for sure. <laughs> well, right now the people of uh, Pennsylvania are doing a head slap, going, "We elected that, really? <laughs> if anything, we'll get the Amish vote out. <laughs> that definitely will. <laughs> Another Fetterman <Yeah>. run." <laughs> Oh, geez. Um, We do have another guest coming on in a few moments, but there was a lot of information that was put out about the whistleblowers dealing with Hunter Biden and Joe Biden's impeachment hearing. This is really, really heating up. And um, are we going to actually see an actual impeachment hearing going forward? Because I was watching the stuff between Raskin and Comer that was being posted. Uh, I, I think Comer's not going to back down. He's going to go full full hog, right? Well, I'll tell you, I covered the uh, impeachment and the first impeachment inquiry hearing yesterday. Uh, it went on and on and on for more than six hours. Um, it basically was a procession of Democrats mocking the fact that the hearing was being held, claiming that there is zero evidence that uh, would justify impeaching Biden, um, and literally laughing uh, at some of the uh, Republican presentations. And on the other side, Republicans pointing pointing to, um, you know, dozens of examples uh, where it appeared that Joe Biden was very much aware of what his son was doing, and was, you know, part of it. So I, I don't have any doubt that uh, Comer and um, House Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan and House Ways and Means Committee Chairman Jason Smith, they are, they are serious about proceeding on this. Uh, Comer announced at the end of the hearing yesterday that um, they are now going to subpoena the bank records of Hunter Biden and James Biden, the president's brother, one of the president's brothers. And I have a feeling that they probably will have to, you know, have a court fight, but they will prevail on that. 
And the records, court records, may just provide the Republicans with the um, uh, finally undeniable evidence that funds that are money that uh, Hunter Biden was paid ended up going to Joe Biden. And then we'll see what happens. We may not have the government well, open for a couple of weeks here, though, now, starting tomorrow night. Yeah, yeah, we're going to be facing that. Uh, I want to bring on our next guest because he's going to be my co-host next week. Um, so if you have time to stick around with us for a little bit, Mark, uh, please, can you? Uh, I can stick around for about five more minutes. Okay. want to welcome back Josh Perry. He was the former campaign aide to Kat Kamak. He writes for RSB uh, Network. And, uh, matter of fact, President Trump has retweeted or re-exed some of his – or retruthed some of his uh, postings. Josh Perry, good afternoon, Josh. How are you? Good afternoon. I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing fine. I'm doing great. We've got Mark uh, Tapscott from the Epic Times or Epoch Times. He always yells at me when I say it the other way around. <laughs> I'm yelling now. And, uh, I'm yelling now. <laughs> <laughs> but you love me, Mark. You know that. You, you can't yeah. help it, right? <laughs> yeah. You're <Annie>. Anyway. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anyway, uh, you said you were covering the hearings, and how does it look? Does it look like we are going to be facing a full shutdown, and will this actually, in effect, do what the Democrats want and sideline the impeachment hearings, Mark? Well, Congress uh, Congress will continue doing um, doing what it does. The the, the the impeachment inquiry will certainly the staff work will continue going on the the question is um they've got until midnight tomorrow night the house failed to pass a 30-day continuing resolution earlier this morning uh, because 21 republicans voted against the cr that uh, speaker mccarthy put up and all the democrats voted against it as well but there is a um, somewhat similar CR coming over from the Senate, and I just have a feeling that as midnight approaches tomorrow and McCarthy has made it clear that he is keeping them in town uh, for votes tomorrow, that um, at some point they are going to say, let's, let's pass something and keep the government open, and then we can, then we can continue arguing about <laughs> the uh 24 budget i'm i'm not convinced yeah, we're going to have a shutdown i won't i won't be surprised if we do but i just have a feeling that it's not going to happen well let's see what happens and whether or not they do get this uh, continuing resolution going my neighbor who was sharing my bourbon last night with us um he works at the local military base as a uh, civilian contractor now and he's like well yeah if they go i go on furlough so there, yeah. there yeah. are ramifications to you know the actual person on the street, uh, and we've got people in D.C. and their heads are in the clouds, and they want what they want when they want and how they want without looking to see what the effect is to the average individual on the street, and that's a shame. That's not what we voted for them to do up there. 
you have a number of effects that uh, if the government does shut down, um, the essential personnel will continue. <clears throat> excuse me, working, but and and that includes just to pick one example, air traffic controllers. Um, they will continue coming to work, but they will know they're not being paid. And I don't know about you, but when I don't get paid, I worry about how I'm going to make my bills. So um, there will be uh, a great deal of stress involved for them that they wouldn't normally have. So everybody, it's in everybody's interest to find a way to uh, keep the government functioning, keep Congress in session, keep Congress debating and trying to figure out where we're going to go with the next the next year's budget. Yeah, because you wrote a couple of days ago in the Epoch Times uh, that you predicted that they would deploy the Washington Monument strategy. And I don't know if everyone remembers or, or is old enough <laughs> to remember exactly what that was. Well, very simply, it's um, you'll recall back in 2013, the last time we had, um, well, actually the next to the last time we had a uh, lengthy shutdown, the national mainstream media made a big deal um, about the fact that the World War II Memorial, uh, which had not been open that long, uh, had been shut down. And there, were, there was an incident or two where a number of veterans in wheelchairs, World War II and Korean War veterans, uh, came and were turned away because the government was shut down. And that made lots of national news. And it coined the phrase the Washington Monument strategy because what happens is the National Park Service closes the various national parks, and that's a very visible impact from a government shutdown, the idea being that, that it will generate more public pressure on Congress to um, uh, to pass something to keep the government open. And I, I have to tell you, a good part of the time during yesterday's impeachment hearing was devoted to Democrats um, doing the Washington Monument strategy and reciting all the ways that uh, people are going to be inconvenienced and, and in fact, uh, suffer um, damage as a result of the shutdown if it happens. Yeah, well, I remember that rather, rather vividly. As a matter of fact, if you remember, I'm sure you do, you got a memory like a steel trap, uh, there was a gentleman from South Carolina, from my neighborhood, who also ran for Congress for the seat Nancy Mace now holds, uh, by the name of Chris Cox, who took his truck and went from park to park emptying all the garbage cans and picking up litter <laughs> just to say, hey, listen, your government may shut down, but we're going to open up these parks back up again because he saw you saw the media uh, broadcasting the veterans being locked out of the monuments and out of the. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I, I can imagine Chris is already cleaning up his truck, getting ready to start heading back down to D.C. to do the work that government won't do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Annie, listen, I, I I hate to do this, but I'm going to have to leave you at this point, and uh, I'm sure Josh will have something much more intelligent and articulate to say than I <laughs> than I do. <laughs> We'll see about that. <laughs> well, Mark, we'll see you in two weeks and enjoy your weekend and the fun and games down in D.C. All right. Talk to you later. God bless. All right.
I subscribe to the Epoch Times, please. Uh, it's T H E E P O C H Times T I M E S dot com, and read the marvelous stuff that Mark and everyone else put up there. Good afternoon, Josh, and welcome aboard, and welcome back. Hi, I, uh, you know, <laughs> just come back off of the conversation with Mark. Um, I know that the House did pass some bills before the continuing resolution failed now. It's up to the Senate to get those passed. But um, one of the 21 members leading the charge against Kevin McCarthy's continuing resolution bill that funds more money to Ukraine, um, Matt Gates leading the charge of the 21 to tank that continuing resolution, He w- they were able to get the Veterans, Military, Homeland Security, and State Foreign Operations passed as single-subject um, appropriations. So that's up to the Senate if they're going to be able to take those up. Wow. Wow. I mean, you, I shake my head at this current administration and what depths they will step into to get their way. I mean, we cannot take care of our veterans uh, because we're taking all that funds and material and housing and yanking the veterans out and putting in illegal aliens and they can't find the funds to continue to fund the military to protect this nation mm-hmm. and yet and yet I, I, it just amazes me we can't take care of our people here at home we can't defend our own borders here at home but we're willing to run all over the world to go everywhere else. Now, Ukraine has a great, mighty cause, but I think there's other ways that in which we can assist them without, when we are here, what are we, how many trillions are we in debt now? I, I think I lost count of the number, if anyone can even count that high. And Basically, go ahead, Ukraine, Josh. basically, Ukraine and Zelensky have a subscription to... American taxpayer dollars. Um, every time I turn around, I see just billions of dollars going to fund Ukraine for a war that has no um, strategic end, nor uh, a, a united purpose that America should be even be involved in this conflict. Um, so, I think Americans are just tired of seeing the destruction by design. President Biden can. Uh, help Governor Greg Abbott and the rest of the bordering states close off the border, but he's unwilling to, and the Democrats are unwilling to because they purposefully want to destroy America, transform us into a communistic society while we sell off um, the tax dollars and break Americans' backs. You know, what they are looking for are new Democratic voters. That's exactly what they're looking for. Why else would mm-hmm. we see uh, the uh, Washington, D.C. area pass the motor voter law- laws? You go in to get a driver's license, you automatically sign up for voter registration. And we see that place after place putting in motor voter, even in a red state like I am in it, in South Carolina. Uh, a friend of mine goes in, goes to renew his driver's license, he speaks with an accent. They didn't even ask him if he was a citizen. They asked him if he wanted a voter's registration. He is an American citizen. He has been for a great many years. Um, 
he's a naturalized citizen, but they did not even think to ask. And they automatically said, do you want? And I said, well, if they're doing it to this gentleman, how many other people who are not born here in the United States, who are maybe even here illegally, are getting a government ID and a voter's registration because a clerk at the counter just pushes a piece of paper in front of them. Right. <laughs> and this is what our government's doing. You know, it's it's laughable that Democrats will say it's a racist idea to require voter ID laws. Meanwhile, those in Congress and Senate are required to have a voting key card whenever they cast their vote on the House floor or Senate floor. They have to clock in with a key card that registers to that elected member. So if the elected members need some form of identification to vote on a bill, I don't know how it's racist then to require voting ID laws. <laughs> well, you see, former governor here, Nikki Haley, uh, one of the things she tackled was that very issue, voter ID. And bless her heart, um, she said, all right. I'll tell you what, you say that these people cannot get to a voter registration location to get a voter ID. They can't get to DMV or wherever they need to go to get their state official ID. I'll tell you what, I will supply transportation. You call this toll-free number. You say, I need transportation to go to motor vehicles or wherever you need to go to get your state-issued ID, your official government ID. And I'll be happy to help you. And we were told there were so many millions of these people within the state that were disenfranchised because they didn't have the transportation. Well, not even 10% of the people that were disenfranchised utilized the service. I think it was something more like maybe 1% or 2%. So that goes to tell me that this is not exactly the truth, is it? No, it's not the truth. I mean, if a Democrat's talking, you know he's not telling you the truth. So um, if, if the government shuts down, one has to ask the question, are we even going to miss it? Because so far the government's been wide open, and all I can feel is nothing but the price of eggs and price of gasoline. You know, that, that's, that's funny because I went to buy bread, and I went to reach for the love of white bread, and I'm looking at it going, $2.89, and just a short while ago, I was paying 99 cents for that same loaf of bread. And if you think about wow. what the course of inflation is on every step of that bread going from uh, uh, wheat seed in the ground all the way up to the packaging and ending up on the store shelf where you take it into your cart and go to the register. You think about every single course that goes into it and how that course has inflated because of yeah. this administration's handling of things. The transportation, uh, just to get to the supermarket, that cost is increased. For the farmer to even plant the seed, to use his uh, tractor equipment, that cost has increased. So from the very first kernel of wheat growing to the moment it ends up on your table, the cost has been inflated every inch of the way. And then you multiply that by every other goods and services you're using today. And it's crazy. No wonder why people oh. cannot go afford to go out anywhere. And, and we're receiving the inflation at the grocery store. But the, the American farmer 
is receiving the inflation as they go to buy the seed and the fertilizer so that they can grow crops, sell it, and then the consumer, you and I, purchase it from the grocery store. But the American farmer is being wrecked by the Bidenomics that are taking place and wreaking havoc across this country. Um, and, you know, in this continuing resolution bill that just failed, Speaker McCarthy, he uh, – he would not remove – I mean, he did remove the E-Verify from the continued resolution. And E-Verify is a great way to hold, you know, American farmers accountable when it comes to employing American workers. You know, you have so many coming across the, the border that are illegal. The inflation is not just a one-fold issue affecting the consumer. It's affecting the farmer. And I can't – and going back to this continuing resolution, I can't imagine why – Speaker McCarthy would remove the E-Verify um, resolution that was in, within the continuing resolution. Now, that's, that is crazy. Um, I remember when E-Verify first came out and how some businesses were like, oh, this is a pain in the, you know, what, and everything else. But, again, it's American workers that it protects. And you would think that this is something that we would want to ensure that you protect the American worker. But then again, if you want that vote from that illegal alien <laughs> through the motor voter laws, uh, thank you very much, you're going to get it now. Oh, yeah. Uh, Speaker McCarthy, he took it out of the continuing resolution. He's one of the good guys. So when he comes up for election, we'll vote for him. And that's what yep. they're doing. And, and mass immigration is driving down American wages. It's driving up the cost of housing. Um, immigration is not just allowing more people. I think a lot of people are confused in that. They think, you know, people, more people can just come in here, but somebody has to foot that bill. Some food costs go up when more people become reliant on government, so our tax dollars are increasing the government more. Um, they have to be housed somewhere. That means the government is paying their housing, which really means that you and I are paying the housing. Um, mm -hmm. We're paying somebody else to have a good time and a free time in this country except for ourselves. Exactly. And medical costs go up because now they're all coming in with Medicaid because they don't have insurance. Yep. Uh, the food stamps, uh, med besides the medical care, English as a second language in our school systems now. Uh, their school systems are being overrun. Um, by the e children of illegal aliens, they don't speak right. English, so you need to now increase the number of teachers and staff to handle these non-English-speaking children. And wait a minute, wait. Uh, there goes the tax dollars, your school tax dollars, there goes your property taxes, uh, there goes everything across the board. Medical costs are going to increase because now hospitals and other doctors are handling Medicaid patients when they're not getting as much money, so they need to increase their costs to offset what they're losing. And it right. is a snowball coming down the side of the mountain, and I'm sorry, it's not a snowball. This is now an avalanche. Oh, yeah, it is. Um, they want to grant wide amnesty and, um, and grow the dependency from those that grant amnesty too. And if government can grant you citizenship, you're probably going to vote for that administration who granted you amnesty and citizenship without any requirement to assimilate to the American way of life, without any requirement to be required to learn English. 
be required to pledge the allegiance to the to the flag, to be required to know, understand, and defend and stand up for the Constitution. We're inviting people into this country who have no love for this country, who will be granted amnesty, and they'll vote for these Democrats any way, any which way they want to, um, as long as that Democrat is putting food on the table and growing their you know, dependence. Well, you know, because of the way that our nation is going at this point, we're finding that some of the Democrats are starting to leave the plantation. Um, right now, Dallas, the mayor of Dallas, Texas, has switched parties because he's seen what is going on in Texas with illegal immigration as well as other issues and saying, this is not my daddy's Democratic Party. And we're seeing elected official after elected official starting to step across the aisle. Do you think there's a new awakening coming to America, uh, Josh? I really hope so. Um, I, I do hope so. I hope that I want to believe that the American people have had enough of um, this strain that we all feel right now, not just a financial strain, but an emotional strain. Um, there are families who talk about the prices of food and they're cutting back in certain areas They're cutting back on how much they travel to save gas. Um, this, this Biden inflation is really hurting the American people, and I really hope that um, these Democrat politicians who are in office, at least the JFK type, you know, grandfatherly type uh, Democrat, I hope that more of them are convincing their colleagues to stand up against the national party within their state and to say enough is enough. And I also hope that the Democrat voter is at least being hurt enough in the wallet to overcompensate for the blind votes that they often cast. Um, and I, I just really hope that people remember that underneath the Donald J. Trump's economy, we had record-setting stock markets, record-setting 401Ks, more money in your bank account, lower food prices, lower gas prices. This is a night and day picture. We went from the greatest economy on earth in American history to um, one of the worst economic disasters America has seen and continues to spiral. Our inflation is through the roof. Well, it is. It is. Josh, it's a pleasure having you on. We're down to our last four minutes here, going on to three minutes. Um, you will be with us uh, next week, and we have uh, Cece Carter joining us next week. Uh, she's got a lot to talk about. I'll shoot you over some information. Uh, just uh, give Curtis uh, your email to send over to me, and I'll let you know what's going on. Uh, but we are set up for a really interesting show next week with you as my guest co-host. Great. I am looking forward to it. All right. Well, we will be back here same bat time, same bat station next week. So please mark your calendar and stay with us. With that, I will leave you with Gary Pecorella and Save America. Thank you. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.